BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Now listening to the best podcast in the world, The Awakened Soul, hosted by my dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I have felt this way about something, but now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Awakened Soul. We got an amazing show planned for you guys this week. We got a KOD from J. Cole. We got a reaction to that album from me, Vic, and Miles. The four of you is going to be over on the breaks. We got the Andrew Bello returning for a Stay Woke segment. We also have Fame Black coming back. Uh, for a conversation about nostalgia so you know we're going to go ahead and get into our intro music which should start right about now and then on the other side of that we're going to go in the mind of haze where we're going to talk to you guys about a few things before we get into the show proper so here we go let's get into it Awakened soul. The awakened soul. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to first start talk about the NBA playoffs. I can't remember a first round like where almost every series has just been amazing. It, matter of fact, the only team to sweep a series with the goddamn Pelicans like that was totally unexpected. Um, and I know the Pelicans kind of got in there at the end of the year but Anthony Davis is just an utterly complete beast the Pacers pushing Cleveland as they have been thank God I wanted to see a competitive series there Golden State losing a clinching game to the to the Spurs like this has just been for whatever it's worth like any I, I this has not been predictable at all I've loved almost every game that I've watched the teams out there competing hard um, so it's just it's it's great. It's great. But I also want to talk about the time period in, in which we are in hip hop. And I f- swear, I feel like like when we started the breaks, we knew we were going to be on for something great. But now we're just getting into a time where literally like Kanye 
had a tweet earlier today just talking about some of the stuff he has um, that he's working on. So um, over the next couple of months, Kanye has, you know, his project coming out with Kid Cudi, which is just going to be dope and amazing. Um, he got we got Pusha T's album coming out May 25th, which is not too far away, about a month away. We got um, his album. Kanye's album June 1st. We got a, a joint album between him and Kid Cudi June 8th. Tiana Taylor's coming out June 22nd. And then we got a Nas album produced by Kanye West coming out June 15th. That's just an amazing stretch of hip hop. That's not even counting what we've already got. The Damn Chronic, which was amazing, just piece of work. And I know that wasn't new material, but it's been amazing. We got the J. Cole album, which even as divisive as what it's been, you know, it, it's it's just a good time for hip hop. Cardi can't mention, can't forget to mention Cardi. Nicki's coming, uh, Drake's coming, and even though I'm not a big fan of their music, you know, people are. So it's just an exciting time. Summertime has always been one of the best times for music. Period. But it seems like really all the big guns are locking and loading. I still, I'm expecting Kendrick to come out with another Untitled. I know that's just a personal thing for me. It may not happen, but I, I'm I'm I'm. My body's ready for it. So it, it's the music this summer of what we're getting. Now, I didn't even name everything. We still got the Book of Ryan for Royce the Five Nine coming out. Like, this is just a great time for rap. I'm definitely excited. Um, but to transition from that, we're getting ready to get into one of those releases that already came out. That's that's J. Cole. We're getting ready to get into a reaction from KOD. Gonna have a brief intro music, and I'll see you guys on the other side of that. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Proceed with caution. I heard if you taste it, it only results in a hole in your heart. Fuck it, I take the whole cake and I won't leave a portion. It's only your organ. Thank God mama couldn't afford the abortion. The loneliest orphan. I flip my misfortune and grow me a fortune. My role is scorching. Them niggas that hate it are slowly endorsing. Not coldly important. My niggas beside me like Tommy and Martin. We ball in your carton. Then skate with your bitch like we turn to your heart in. She don't need the garments. She horny from all of the money we counting. Count it up. Count it up. Count it up. Count it. Count it up. Count it up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Awakened. So listen, you guys knew I was going to talk about this J. Cole album, but more importantly, I wasn't going to talk about it myself. We got Vic from the Avenue H podcast in the building. What's going on, Vic? What's good, man? How's everything? Everything is good, man. Good. Just ready to talk some hip hop. We also got Miles, formerly uh, from the Legion of Love. What's going on, man? What up, yo? What's poppin', man? Ready to talk, laugh. You know, I got jokes. (laughs) All right, so we're we're gonna start off before we get into tracks. Before we get into anything else, we're gonna start off overview of the album. Did you like the album? Yes or no? Vic, come to you first on this one. Thumbs up or thumbs down on this album overall? Overall, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. Okay, okay. Sounds that sounds like you like you had a, like you're a little reluctant to give it that. We'll we'll talk about that when nah, we get into nah, details. Nah. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for the I was waiting for the butt. Exactly. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. It's, it's to me, is a solid album, especially being that I'm a J. Cole fan, and I was super nervous with this album. Like, um, because the last album, to me, I hated it. So with this one came a lot of expectations. But for the most part, I, I like the album, man. All right, all right. What about you, Miles? Uh, I get. I mean, I give it a thumbs up. I like the album. Like I said, um, we we previously talked about it, but for some reason, like I said, it sounds like hip hop elevator music to me. <laughs> Whatever that may mean to you, <laughs> whatever anybody may think, but that's how I felt about it. I, I, so, when you said thing. that to me the first time, I'm thinking to myself, like, what? I, I, 
I'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about the review. I I don't quite grasp what you mean by that, but I know you 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 explain the shit out of it, man. Me right. personally, I gotta give this album a thumbs up. Like it, the thing is when when I listen to music now because of how rap is, like I listen to music to rap for a few different things. I listen to the content, the lyrics, what what was the message they were trying to get across with the album. I think I think what he was getting across, I think lyrically this album was on point. I think he was a little bit more experimental with his production and other things that he did than what he has been. Um, some some of it hit for me, some of it didn't, but overall I have to give this album a thumbs up. Um, Miles, since since you know you had the most controversial opinion so far right now, <laughs> what what were some of the standout tracks to you, and then what were some of the ones that you just didn't feel as much? Um, that's the crazy part. Like I think I liked everything. Like I didn't go through it with skips. Like you know how you skip through stuff. And it's like, all right, this track is cool, but I rather listen to this. I didn't skip anything. Um, I think the ones that stood out to me the most probably was uh, Kevin's Heart and uh, what's the song? Brackets. Um, because to me, like the Kevin's Heart thing, it was like something that I took to heart because I understood like where he was coming from. Cause I've been there. I think a lot of us have been there. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, how you feel it and how you how you think of it. Um the brackets, I just like just the subject matter, the whole, you know, talking about taxes and understanding people's plight and the stuff that we go through on the daily and dealing with certain things like that. Like um, there was that one line, I think, near the end of the song where he's talking about the mom whose son was killed and she's getting her keys and all that ready to go out for the funeral or whatever. And she's like, damn, I got to pay my tax. Like, I got to do my taxes. Like th- that to me was like, damn, this is like the album to me is very like everyday life. That's how I felt about it. Um, and <laughs> Am I explaining the the elevator thing now, or are we waiting for that? I guess I kind of get with, with, where you're going with that. I guess I I guess I, I don't I mean, still quite grasp it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, so it's not really about the subject or anything like that. It's just the listen. Like it's a very smooth, like calm listen. Like when I listen to music, it's kind of like I listen for different reasons depending on my mood. I would listen to this album when I'm in a mood where I'm kind of just zoned out, just chilling just not really on anything at the moment like when you're on the elevator you're not really thinking you're just kind of in there just waiting to get to where you're going so that's what i mean like it's that music that kind of it's just like there while you're in the middle of doing nothing kind of i know it sounds weird but that's just how i felt about it when i was driving i'm like is this driving music it is like walking music is this workout music like it's not really any of that it's kind of like right in the middle so that's where i say you know the whole elevator thing for me but like i said it's a good solid album that's I like J. Cole. I've been rocking with him for a minute. Um, and it's funny because somebody put the post up in there like, you know, you, you have to have a certain amount of student loans to understand what J. Cole was talking about. And like, I noticed that a lot of people who aren't really, I'm not going to say aren't smart or anything, but people like people that like trap music or just love it so much and they, they stand by it, they're going to be like, this shit is corny. Just off the fact that he's not talking about, you know, murder, death, kill all the time. You know and I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there's always going to be a demographic that don't like that type of stuff. And what I feel that's interesting about the album is, like, I'm a huge J. Cole fan. So I can give, I could quote lyrics of J. Cole for, forever. And I personally think, I don't know if you guys got it, I kind of feel like he's taking the cadence and the rap style of current trap people. Because there's certain ways he, like, rhyme patterns he had that, that that caught my attention, like, on Photograph. I don't know if you guys remember on Photograph, the way he was rapping, like, 
niggas on my side. Uh, 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 uh. That's like a a very common thing nowadays. So, mm-hmm. and listening to the album, this parts that's like I could tell he's catering to the average like younger trap listener. Now I have to, I have to, that. I have to, I have to argue with you there, Vic. Only in the point that J Cole in his early mixtapes had that cadence even before. It, it popped up. If you his aggressive, more up tempo cadence has always been that way. Always, even before he popped mainstream. No, I, you know what? I don't know if the term, the real term is cadence. I think more so rap style. Because there's certain patterns I would never hear J Cole have. Like 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 the example I gave. Like he's like, this is a common thing you'll see in rap now. People be like blah 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 huh blah 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 huh. And I noticed he was doing it, and I'm like, that's so not J. Cole, but I'm like, I get it. Because well, you can tell he's trying to appeal to more than his average listener based on certain ways he was rhyming or whatever the case is. Again, I got I got to argue, because go back and listen to, to his first album, listen to Rise and Shine. He rapped that oh, way. Oh, yeah, then. Rise and Shine is one of my favorite. So, so then you know, like, that he's not catering. He's always had that versatility. He's always had, he's, he's not frequently but he's used that style long before it became popular with trap music yeah because he, he mixed it up he kind of mixed it up one or two because i one of the tracks i kind of felt like is this just is this kendrick at first but then i'm like well it's jay cole but he does have the versatility where he's like he's differing on um certain flows and the way he does it. and that's one of the things i do like about him it's not like the constant chain flow every song like you know how some artists where it's just like every song different beat you know different tune but the flow is like the same thing he switches it up um you don't know if you're really gonna get a slow or fast or kind of like even to the point where he's like singing some of these hooks and stuff i definitely think he has the versatility like uh like cd or hayes the same where he's just mixing it up and giving you something you know that's different because i don't really think i don't really honestly i don't think he cares to cater like i think he's at the point where it's like I'm going to make what I want to make, and if you're going to listen, you're going to listen. That's it. I don't think he's really even trying to grab anybody else or cater to anybody else. It's kind of like, yo, I'm J. Cole. This is my music, and this is what's going to happen. And that's kind of like, that kind of stood out to me on, on um, I think it was the first track, KOD, when he says, when he asks about, um, you know, why nobody, why don't you have any features? And he's like, niggas don't deserve to be on my... And it's kind of like, all right, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like, I am who I am. I'm going to do what the hell I want, and I don't need nobody. So he, you know, he, I don't think he's catering. I think he's just, like, putting music out there, and if y'all like it, y'all like it. If not, it's kind of like a kiss my ass type situation. So it seems like to me. Nah, man, but, but uh, honestly, I love this album. That's just me, man. That I, And, <laughs> I, you know, some... Some people might not think I'm biased. Like, I mean, I have a fair opinion because I'm extremely biased when it comes to J. Cole. But off his last project, like For Your Eyes Only, I can only think of two tracks I liked on it. Was basically the the title track, which is For Your Eyes Only, and Neighbors. Outside of that, I couldn't. I hated that previous album. So, like, when I started listening to this album, I was going to, like, I was in Jersey for a little bit. And I had to drive to, back to New York. So I'm like, you know what? Let me take a deep breath because I can't, I can't stomach another bad J. Cole album right now if that happens. And Ooh. put it in. It was man, uh, going through it. Stressful. I'm telling you, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You know, and you know why too? It's like I don't know what it is about people who listen to J. Cole album that constantly feel the need to compare him to Kendrick. And part of me was like, man, Kendrick just gave us damn. I can't tolerate another J. Cole album that's horrible right now. So I definitely took a deep breath before I played press play. And I, in the beginning, when I was first, the first couple tracks were good. And then as you go through it, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I was like, yo, is this good? Is it not? But as the album started progressing and then you start to get like the subject matter and notice how deep they were, I was like, you know what? I like this album a lot. Right. It, it definitely and this is this is something in a conversation I was having on Twitter about it, is that the and I and it's funny you brought up damn the first time I listened to damn all the way through I thought it was all right like it wasn't I didn't like it for real it was it was cool. the same way it took me like two or three listens to really start being like okay this this is amazing like really to really get what he was doing KOD was kind of the same way to me I listened to it Friday night Friday morning when it released at midnight Thursday night like I listened oh, to it wow you was the play oh yeah like I'm a, I'm a huge Cole fan and I was listening to it I was like you know what I don't know if I like this I like I like a handful of tracks but I don't know if I like the album overall as a body of work I listened to it the next day at work listened to it again when I was at home and after I really sat with it for a minute I'm like nah this is this is amazing and the, the fact it is a why it was so amazing is the like a what Cole is able to do on both the production and not having any features is almost unheard of now. There's no one who who produces their whole own album. Like it's 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 amazing, and he experimented. Like he stepped outside of his box, and then once I saw the video to ATM, I, it really drove it home that he's really trying something different on this. And I appreciate him experimenting some and stepping outside of his box. I haven't watched the ATM video yet, but I heard man, it's, it's a Busta Rhymes video, man. <laughs> A Busta Rhymes yeah. from like the oh, late yeah. '90s right. video. You're right. You're right. You're right. But I'm gonna I want to join for you all up in the screen, jumping around, Bigfoot and all that. Somebody. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I n- never thought about it like that because you remember how those old Busta Rhymes videos used to be. Like it definitely gives me a, the feeling of a Busta Rhymes video though. Yeah, Busta used to be like in another world with it. Him and so. Missy actually used to have like these out there like yeah. videos and whatnot. But man, I'm 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 happy, man. I'm not gonna lie to you, man. Like I'm like I'm happy the album turned out good. Um I'm happy that this I, this certain things only I feel like only Kendrick and J. Cole could bring them up and as far as like um certain certain societal norms, even like window window pane where he started talking about how niggas was willing to do everything for for respect. Or whatever the case is, and he was talking about how how you start like gang banging is an LA thing. So how you guys started it over here? And there's certain things I feel like only Cole and Kendrick could bring up, and not be looked at like who the hell are you? You think you better than us? Why are you talk, why are you rapping about this stuff or whatever the case is? Like, yeah. So they definitely had that pool. Um, it's something about both of them. I think part of it, what I think is, is just the level of um the level of intelligence, but mixed with the intensity of the of the, the lyrics and of the songs and the things that he t- they talk about because um I can honestly say I'm one of the people where it's kind of like yeah if somebody else is saying that I probably be like whatever my nigga but <laughs> like <laughs> when you listen to these two you know it's it's there's something there and that's the thing about how I feel about music like where you can listen to something and you be like oh this is hot 
and that'll be that. But listening to, you know, this album and listening to, you know, other albums by him, Kendrick, other people, I'm one of those people who kind of like, I have to listen to an album a couple times to really say this is good because in the, when you first hear it, it's like all hype and you just be hype. You just be geeking. Like when Meek Mill's first album dropped, I was just happy and I was from Philly and I was like, yeah, Meek. And I'm like, this doing all that. But then you got to really sit down and listen to it. I mean, it's a good album. Don't get me twisted. But you have to kind of separate yourself from the hype and to be able to listen to something so that you can really get the message, you can really get the beats, you can really get the flow, the production all together. And it takes a good amount of listeners to do certain things like that. And I think um, this is one of the things that Kendrick and, and Cole do. They kind of, you have to sit yourself down and listen to what's going on, not just like, oh, I'm fucking driving and let me throw this on just because. Like, nah, this is music. It's conscious music, but it just it has a sound where you just have to really like dig deep into it. I mean, that's how I feel. I could be wrong, but that's how I feel about music in general. And this is why I listen to music for stuff like that. Not just to be like, oh, I'm going to strip club, shake some ass. Absolutely. So, and yeah. and you saying that music has to sit with you. And, I, and that's the thing is that I hate it when people try to annoy anything as a classic album, even a month after it's out. Like, I think that to say something's a classic it really has to sit with you for a while. Like you have, you have to, it has to be around at first. It has to see if it's going to stand the test of time. Like, I don't think that you can anoint anything as a class, an absolute classic until maybe a year after it's out six months, maybe at the earliest, but you know, you hear people now that they're just quick to throw that classic label on stuff. And right. It, it, I don't feel like it fits. Like we forget about the album a few months later. And so it's not a classic. It may be a modern classic, if you if you want to try to categorize it as that, but a, a classic, just overall, it takes more than that to to get that label. Yeah. For me. Oh yeah, everybody want to call everything classic now, man. Go ahead, big one, bad. No, what I, well, I was gonna say the same thing as um as as Hayes is that yeah, man. People like I already hear people start throwing damn album as classic. Not to say that it isn't because that's one of those albums that. I could listen to over and over and over and over, but I just think we throw classic out too much. We throw greatest of all times out way too much. Like there's a lot of little terminologies I noticed we we throw, but for me, a classic album is something I could like. I could still listen to the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. I could still listen yeah. to Fuji's The Score. I could still listen to what this whole week I've been on a Nas tip where I'm listening to it was written. And it's still a classic album. So that's what classic is, the ability yeah. to play. It has to be timeless music for me to, to really say, oh, this is a classic. Like, Because you can call almost anything. You can just be like, oh, this is classic. But when you really think about it, how is this music going to affect us 5, 10, 20 years from now? When you start talking about stuff like that, then it's like, all right, we could talk about classic. Like, I've heard people say, oh, like you say, oh, such and such is a classic, this and that. Now, damn, won a Pulitzer, so it's kind of like, all right, this is going to be a classic, just off the fact that it did that. But outside of that, really, like, people just like to say shit, like, greatest of all time. Like, I hear people say Kendrick is the greatest of all time. I think that shit is absurd. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I rock with Kendrick, but he ain't been there long enough to be like, oh, he's the greatest of all time. Like, he's still got a ways to go. Yeah, he, he, he's shit, and he can spit, for sure. And he just won the, the Pulitzer joint. But let's not get crazy and disrespect all the dudes who who really have been doing this for a very long time. And they, they earn their stripes. And it's like, no, I'm not going to put him there yet. 
Like, there's mad people out here ahead of him. But, you know, because he's what's current and, like you said, and, you know, during a modern situation, people are going to be like, yo, classic, classic, classic. But really, you know, you got to sit back, like I said, internalize music. Think about it and really say, okay, is this music going to be the same for people 10, 20, 30 years from now? Like, no, it, you ha- it has to have that. Like, the miseducation of Lauryn Hill, as much as I, I don't... Let me put a disclaimer. I don't hate the album really, but I hate the miseducation of Lauren because I drove to Pittsburgh with my pop and my stepmom and they played that shit for six hours. So <laughs> by the time I was by the time we got there and when I hear this shit now, I'll be damaged. Like, nah, I don't play that. But I love the album though. But it annoys me because I had to listen to that shit so much. But it is a classic. Yeah. <laughs> the album is classic, but I had an argument with somebody where I said the album is classic. It is, but do I think Lauren Hill herself is a legend and all that? No, I don't. But you know, that's a different conversation for a different day. Yeah, that's definitely a different conversation for a different day. Because I, yeah, I that's know. that. that, that. <laughs> I have to bite my lip on that, but it's all good, bro. I understand because a lot of people don't want to hear it. But I mean, to me, to be to, at a certain point, you gotta do some things, and you know. Lauren kind of did her thing and then fucking fell off the face of the planet. So, yeah, I don't yeah, know. True, true. I feel you on that. Um, Jay, we got to talk about before we before we end before anything else. We got to talk about the last track on the album, which is 1985. And everyone's trying to wrap their head around who is the diss track towards who. And while I think he definitely threw some bars in there for Lil Pump, who who had some stuff to say about him, I think overall the the track was more directed at just the new rappers nowadays in my opinion i don't think it was necessarily focused on any just one person um what did you guys think about that yeah i mean that 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 particular track is definitely targeted towards all the he's definitely going that little pump that's a guarantee but um yeah he's he's basically schooling all the younger guys you know the little all the little you know all the little rappers with colorful hair and doing craziness right now i definitely think it's not on direct that little pop it's definitely to the the younger guys that's like living the the way they're going about things and because we live in an age of microwavable music and a lot of these music ain't gonna last and i think that's his him trying to like school the younger ones towards that mentality like all y'all doing right now is cool and all but what impact is this music happening like it's cool to party, it's cool to turn up, but after that, ten years from now, are you gonna be remembered? You know? So I definitely think it's in that same vein of not only to Little Pump but to all the little guy all these other different rappers. Absolutely. <clears throat> and this is the, by far the most respectful diss track ever made in history. Like he, I, <laughs> he, seriously though, he motivated and diss people at the same exact time like if you yeah it's gonna be and i can't wait to see how people respond to this because it's like even if you do feel he was coming at you how can you come with the like straight aggressive diss diss track based off this like i i just can't wait to see the response to this if they even do respond which especially little pump considering he can't rap bars more than one syllable he just needs to leave this alone but we'll see what comes of this miles what do you make of the track um I mean, it's, it's kind of like what you just said, like, because he starts off the track kind of like congratulating and like, you know, realizing, you know, that rap is changing and, you know, it's like he's like, y'all mad at these young dudes, but they, they basically kids. So what the fuck? Like, let them live. But then he's kind of like, all right, let me let me 
give you a little ass whooping real quick because <laughs> you're not just gonna you know just be coming at my neck now the little pump i don't even the other day i was like who the fuck is a little pump because i don't really know um i know people keep saying but then um you know hayes let me know you know that's the gucci gang dude which my only experience with this dude is riding in the car with my nephew he's like can i hear a gucci gang i'm like all right whatever the hell that's by and i didn't even realize it was a little pump um i just feel like you know it's like i like when people it's it may sound, you know some people like when motherfuckers go hard and beef in that rap but like I feel like it's a little spank on the ass from Cole to a little pump because really he there's nothing he can do with J. Cole. Like and J. Cole don't even really need to waste too much energy on this dude. Like I don't even rap when I probably could bust his ass. So to me, I'm just like he's just kinda giving y'all that little bit of this and letting you know, you know, get like as far as you're concerned, little pump, I'm that dude. I'm the boss. Like, you know, what I mean you ain't even you ain't shit yet, kind of. But congratulations on your little wins. It, it reminded me actually of a time where um, this shit might be funny, y'all. I always got a little story, but my brother got into a fight, and um, another dude popped up and was like, you know, on some tough shit. And my brother's like, yo, like, congratulations on your wins and all that, but you're too young for me, and I'll kick your ass. Like, don't play. And it was kind of like everybody laughed it off or whatever. But that's kind of what it makes me think about. Because, I, I mean... If I honestly, if I was in the game like that, I'm not wasting my time on no fucking dude named Lil Pump who's saying the same shit over and over and over and over again on the song. I don't want to hear that. So, you know, I think he just, like I said, a little spank on the ass, get out of my face, young boy. Philly terminology for those who don't know. Um, and, that, and that was really that for me. Um, that's how I felt about it. Oh. Yeah, that's it. I ain't got nothing left to say about about the 1985 <laughs> track. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, anything left you guys got to say about the album overall? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna keep listening to it, and whenever I get an elevator, I'm gonna play that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I think I know why. While Miles is saying that, because there's no like, you know, loud. I could turn up vibe to it. That's that's really what it is. Right. There's no real dancing music. There's no real out there music. But it's to me. I'm a, I'm gonna be honest though. Before we leave, it's I felt like I felt like he put the the the, the way he rhymed and everything. It's kind of like that term putting the medicine. In, no, putting the candy in the medicine. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like. You know, the way he rhymed and the way he changed up his you know, rhyme flow, whatever the case is, certain things he did on the album was definitely that. It was putting the can- the, the candy and the medicine and whatnot. Candy and the medicine. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Well, people, let's tell them where they can find you. Vic, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me at VJ24 under slash. Also, you can find me at Av under slash no, Av under slash H under slash podcast. Alright, Miles. Uh, yeah, y'all can find me at, on Instagram at Miles M I L E S period or dot whatever you want to say. Alonzo A L O N Z O. Um, yeah, that's where I be. And on Twitter, you can find me at the Miles Theory D A underscore M I L E S underscore Theory. Uh. I mean, just look out for me. I'll be doing some things in the future. I'm coming off one project and I'm going to some others. So I'm working on some things right now, but definitely I'll be linking up with my brother Hayes and then of course my man Vic. So just look out for it, brother. We I'll be around. 
Absolutely. All right, I want to thank y'all for joining me. We'll catch you. We're going to get into a brief musical break, and I'll catch you guys on the other side. Two to two. Pale dude. Point Dexter. Dale the Sauce King. And Dom Ali. Live on Moguls on Sports every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on UrbanMogulLife.com for the most comprehensive and up-to-date news in the world of sports. So, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to do an episode, not a full episode, but a segment on nostalgia. Um, And I was trying to figure out who I was going to come ask to do this. I reached out to Bill Cosby. He said no. He said no. He couldn't see. He couldn't see the computer. He couldn't. He didn't want to admit what he was nostalgic about. Um, I mean, you're nostalgic about Rufalin. Just it, it quite. It doesn't quite work for everyone. Um, so yeah, that didn't work out. Uh, and then I reached out also to um, Muhammad Ali. We all know why that didn't happen. Um, and then I reached out to Donald Trump, and he told me that I was fake news and hung the fucking phone up on me. So that just leaves Fame Black. What's going on, Fame? Oh man. Um, well, Cosby is in the middle of court right now, so it was really inconsiderate for you to ask. Um, also, pretty damn inconsiderate for you to ask Muhammad Ali, I will admit. Yes, yes, that, was, that was pretty dickish of me. And um, despite your feelings on him, uh, you know, you, you may be fake news. We have to look back in 20 years and figure out if you were fake news. So Donald Trump, once again, like, and he's the president. You shouldn't be bothering him with your, with your podcast. I mean, if he, if he can tweet bloggers, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just trying to get my, never mind. Never mind. It was, I mean, I'm saying it's different between sending a tweet out, which he loves to do anyway, and then you can getting him on the podcast to talk about, talk about n- nostalgia. So, you know, um, I just yeah. think, it, I just think you need to, you, you need a little bit more tact is what I'm saying. Oh, well, fuck it. I mean. Would be my advice. <laughs> well, shit happens. Um, also, but, uh, also. A little, little inconsiderate to list all the celebrities that you went to and you had to get the no from uh, before bringing me on. I mean, just think I'm, I'm considering you in the class of celebrities. I even asked you before I asked Purple Face. Hey, uh, you're right. And I appreciate that because he is he is the star of the Beta podcast. Really, he's really got a fan base going up. His Twitter followers are up. Instagram followers are up. The Beta podcast. He's doing well. Oh, hey. Shouts out to Purple Face, by the way. Uh, that that bastard. I tell you, they grow up so quick. He he was just a speckle on a computer screen, and now the motherfucker is like running Twitter. So I mean, shout out to Purple Face. Yeah, he's he's doing a lot. Um, he had a he had a really he had a lot of things to say uh, today about uh, what you. It was the hashtag uh, instead of spreading hate, and hmm. he had some really clever things to say. Yeah, and I, and I saw him. He he went at um, Redneck. So I mean, I, I wasn't going to talk about that. Oh well, well, we won't talk about it then. Uh, but we are here to discuss um, our our three things on our list of that we loved back in the day. Now that we come back as fully formed adults, that we just realize utterly probably suck. Um, so fame. I mean, you're the guest. I'm gonna let you take this one off first. What's the first one on your list? All right, let me let me preface, man, by saying like I'm the I am despite all the other. I mean, I don't know why you would ask these other people, uh, but. I am the guy to ask about this. I am the advocate for, you know, shit is always is always worse. I feel like we people always long for this time. I'm an old soul. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back. And I'm like, hell no, I would never go back. Things were much, much worse. The weed was weaker. Uh, you know, race. You think racism is bad now. It's worse the further you go back. Like, you know, things like that. Like, I, I just I think of it realistically. I, I know I understand people. It's the nostalgia people get wrapped up in. And I always say nostalgia ain't shit. And I do this with music. I do this with movies. People are like, oh, my God. 
why are they remaking this? Remakes are bullshit. I hate remakes. What's your favorite movie, man? Scarface. Yeah, you know that's a remake. What? Yeah, the fuck on my face. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Can, so, we, can we all can we all admit though that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake was fucking horrible? Or do you like that? Some too? Rem- no, I hate. I don't. I did not like it. Some remakes are good. Some remakes are bad. But I mean, you know, they remade Batman. That ended up working out. You know what I mean? So it, then they remade Batman again. That ended up not working out so well. <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> but, but you can't just stick with the one idea like things need to be expanded upon and that you know look who if you like the lion king don't tell me you don't like remakes because that's hamlet yeah and it's also a remake of a south african uh movie i forget the name now that has the exact same oh, storyline that, be- oh, yeah. that i believe it's oh, with yeah. a puma instead of a lion but yeah they remade that shit yep they made they made a bunch of di- different animals and different things but yeah they definitely stole that story but we'll get, we'll get to that company in a minute. Um, I'm gonna start light. I'm gonna start with an actual example. I'll start light. Um, Heinz purple ketchup. Uh, I remember this being a big thing. It was advertised on Nickelodeon. It looked so amazing. It looked so cool. Um, I couldn't wait to try it. And if I won't be damned, it was actually fucking. It tasted like ketchup. And I put it on everything. And then for some reason, I I didn't know why. You know, it went away. And I never, you know, I never had it again. Um, but when I look back on it, it looks unnatural. And I realize why. Like I'm like I'm looking at this from a completely scientific standpoint. We use colors to identify what we can and can't eat and what we should and should not eat. So this purple ketchup is defying all of our human logic, which is why kids eat Tide Pods now. Shit like that. They make it look delicious, but it's weird. I I uh I I liked it as the time, but I look back on it like, why would I ever put that in my mouth? It looks disgusting as fuck. Damn. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what Fame's talking about, in 2000, Heinz had the Easy Squirt Ketchup in both purple and, Fame, correct me if I'm wrong, was it green? Green. Green. Yeah. And um, I was a little bit older than, I think, what am I, two years older than you, Fame? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I I, I remember it because my little sisters had it, but I did not partake in the purple ketchup, but I definitely remember. <laughs> Lucky you. Lucky yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy though. Like, yeah, and you make a good point saying that we use colors to identify what we should and shouldn't eat. And I mean, maybe they thought they were gonna get the black people to buy it because everybody just thinks for some reason the color people love their purple drink and anything purple. Um, but no, nah, not nah, boss. No, nah, no. Nah. I mean, it didn't. It it initially sold well, and then it didn't sell again. It's because kids, you know, it 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 can't work. It does not work. It it defies your human. It defies your human instincts. It's not gonna. It doesn't last. That's what's up. That was a good one. Um, my first one on this one, and, and I'm starting off coming right out the gate. We Ooh. all, at, at, everyone loved. Um, what was it? TGIF. Thanks God, it's Friday, and all the programming there. Oh no, you're going to rag on TGIF. Have you gone back? And watched either an episode of Family Matters or Boy Meets World since you've been an adult. First of all, okay, maybe I'm the wrong guy to be talking about this. I love Boy Meets World to this day. I watch it consistently. I have a, Listen. I have a playlist on YouTube. Listen, to- I will admit that the older ones, the younger ones, when they're kids, that one, those are bullshit. Those are bullshit. The college of- years are still dope. I like the college years. I can agree with you. Yeah, I was gonna say the high school years are good too. But Topanga, sexy as hell, still sexy to this day. Absolutely. But 
fucking horrible. Horribly acted, which most kids shows are. That's one thing that that'll yeah, be absolutely. like almost any show, all that, everything you go back and watch with actors, the the actors were built around children. Um it, it, you'll notice that the acting's fucking horrible. Um but even more so than Boy Meets World. And this is going to drill home Family Matters. If you go back yeah, that show is- terrible if you go back and watch like watch just watch one full season commit yourself to a weekend to watch a full season of family matters and you will realize that didn't Don't shit happen while at least boy meets world had a message family matters had no message other than don't be a nerd or you'll be ostracized by your family is that really what a message we want to send to our youth don't be smart don't be smart also you can just walk into people's houses this is why people get shot like if you just walk in my house you're getting shot. At that point, I have a right to shoot you. Now, much, much less, you're walking in my house to try to court my daughter in front of me. I'm shooting your ass, like aggressively. Exactly. Like, and and let's 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 not forget, Steve Urkel is the biggest creep. Like the Creep Squad, Steve Urkel is the founder of that shit. Not only not only did he hide in her closet several times, not only did he stay around their house, did he sit outside their house several times, did he get close to the younger children to to try to warm up to the older daughter. This man also completely, and he was the first catfish. Stefan, he catfished the shit out of her, being, being Stefan Urkel. He was the first catfish. Oh, you, you don't think that was genuine? You think the machine was bullshit? The machine was bullshit. Oh, my God. And, and this, is, this is highlighted. If you remember, there was an episode in which they went into the future. As adults, they were still kids. Like they had different actors. That They went into the future, and he was Stefan, but he was still Steve, meaning that he had that in him the whole time. The machine just gave him the confidence to act that side of him. He was catfishing her the whole time. Oh, wow. That is so deep. You know, let me tell you something. TJIF does suck. I mean, it, it's terrible programming um, as far as just because it was for everybody. They tried to just throw in a little something for everybody. And generally, when you do that, you're going to come off real corny. And the kid episodes of, of Boy Meets World are corny. But it's that kind of corn that you need in your life. You know what I mean? It's right up there with fairy tale endings and of. Uh, you know, cartoon movies. So I, I give it the pass because I still love it. And I, I'm, I'm just, I like to watch it. I don't, I don't even think it's nostalgia. Some of those storylines played out. Like they had Topanga and Corey do the dance from early on. You know, he put lipstick on her face. And I mean, she put lipstick. Oh, he put lipstick on his face. You know, it was, it was cute. Girl Meets World is terrible. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. What's yours? <laughs> All right. So this is going to seem really particular. But I was watching it with my daughter recently, and it it struck it struck this core with me of like, why? Who is this for? All right. So we watched Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. All right. Now, if some of y'all haven't seen it. It doesn't matter. Some of y'all seen the regular Flintstones movie with John Goodman and Rick Moranis and and Rosie O'Donnell and damn, I'm going to forget the Wilma. It doesn't matter. Um, that movie was like bad too. But particularly like a year later, two years later, Viva Rock Vegas came out and it had none of the original actors. And it's all about how Fred and Wilma met and fell in love and consequently how Barney and Betty met and they fell in love, et cetera, et cetera. And in this movie, the bad guy has gambling debt and he tricks the Flintstones into going to Rock Vegas, which is obviously a pun on Las Vegas, and he tricks Fred into inheriting the debt and frames him for stealing Wilma's pearls, and like it's very adult, 
And, like, who shows up to save the day? Mick Jagged, who's a play on Mick Jagger. Like, it's 2002 or, or whatever. Like, who who is this for? Kids love Vegas and Mick Jagger? Like, it boggled my mind to be watching this. And my daughter is watching this, you know, 10 years from, you know, almost 14 years removed from when it came out. Like, what am I watching, Dad? What is this movie? Can you explain this? This is from your time. And I'm like, I can't. This wasn't even for me when it was when it came out. So yeah, that was some nostalgia up that ass. That's okay, fam. I, I like I like the way you're going with this, man. I like the way you're like, going with this. Like, like like all right, watching it as an adult, adult, it was it was okay because they it, it explained a lot about where the where the Flintstones come from. Like like in the middle of it, Wilma's like, oh, what do you think of what happened if I wear my hair up? And Betty's like, oh, it looks good that way. And stuff like, you know, Fred is in the store picking out a shirt. And he's like, oh, I like that orange and black one. Like, you know, it just basically paints their origins. It's actually a really good origin story. But who is it for? Nobody knows the Flintstones that well except for me because I'm a nerd. And I've read up on the Flintstones. And I watched, like, all the episodes on, on you know, the, the TV show. Nobody else did that but me. Who is that movie for? <laughs> yeah, I feel you. This, <laughs> this shit bothers me. It, 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 I can I can completely completely understand that that shit. Oh, okay, my next one. And again, I hate to do this shit to my childhood. Like if if my childhood self oh, like listens to this podcast, if there's like ever somehow we can send this shit back in time. Um, and fame, I don't I don't know if this was still like I don't know like because of our slight age difference, I don't know what caught you and what was like really just outside of you that I caught. But do you happen to remember mm-hmm. a show called well, t- uh, two of them, two movies, Three Ninjas okay. and Surf Ninjas? Do you remember these two movies? Oh God, I uh, yeah, I remember these movies. So Three Ninjas, I fucking love. <laughs> like, I love those movies. I, suck. <laughs> they are so. And then when you realize that they're not even really doing karate. <laughs> I was gonna say they're not even doing karate. <sighs> <laughs> I, uh... and so and the reason why i'm so like disheveled by this like in my voice now is because i purposely like when i texted you and i was like this would be a dope a dope segment to do a dope topic to cover I, I looked on the fire stick i pulled up three ninjas and i'm like let me watch this this may qualify for the list the first 30 minutes oh, into you. the movie i'm looking at the shit and i'm like no no it was bro, not this bro. bad I'm like somebody replaced this movie. This can't be because this I don't remember this at all. <laughs> oh, it's terrible! It's Throw horrible. the Power Rangers movie. Throw the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie right oh in there. Oh my god! With and then when you realize in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that the women Rangers there weren't women in those suits because they had no breast, it just completely baffles you. Like just, oh just man, I didn't think even know that. It. Just think, just go back and look. Anytime the pink or yellow ranger are on, they have no breast, but the actresses also, had breasts. So no, right, absolutely. Yeah, now, now, I mean, obviously, I, I can, I can envision that. That's pointed out now. I totally get it. And now, also, throw in Ninja Turtles two and three in there with that as well. <sighs> in two and three, they never yeah. once draw their weapons. In one, at least they, they, at least they drew their weapons. And there's a lot more karate, but it got kind of like beat up for being a little too violent. So two and three, they, they didn't. Need. In three, they don't even throw a single punch. I really not a single punch. 
They, it's all like pratfalls and like set, clumsy setups, you know. They trick the bad guy into hitting themselves and you know falling off a cliff and you know kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. Ninja, <sighs> go ninja, go ninja. What's go. number one go on your ninja, list, fam? Go ninja, go. Okay. <laughs> the song's still dope, though. Fuck that. I still love that oh, absolutely. shit. <laughs> absolutely. Listen. So let me let me before I hit the number one because the number one is big time. Let me. I will gladly watch Viva Rock Vegas, and I will gladly, you know, watch TGIF. Like, then just because you know it sucks doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. You know what I mean? Sometimes you need that just corny bullshit in your life to, because life is real, and sometimes you want that bullshit. So, <clears throat> I have to have. I, I went really light and really specific with the last two. So this is a general broad company that's really fucked up and shows the fucked up message again and again and again. And nobody calls them on their bullshit because they're just too damn lovable. And now they own everything. Disney movies. I don't care what age you are. Whatever Disney movie was coming out and you're nostalgic about, what's fucked up? Uh, where should I begin? Um, I mean, let's just let's just talk about the fact that before you get to say. Mulan or Pocahontas, no Disney princess really did shit. Mulan saved China. Snow White, she ran away from home because she was getting murdered. Then she cleaned up for some seven men and she ate apple. Then some dude rolled up on her frigid body, kissed her. Now she belongs to him. Cinderella, all she did was clean. Somebody gave her a break. It's like, hey, I'll clean for 15 minutes. Why don't you go to the party? Did that shit. She found a prince, kissed her, left the shoe, dumb bitch. Uh, and then, uh, you know, found a prince. She didn't really do anything. Um, Sleeping Beauty says it right in the name. This bitch slept the whole movie. Um, where, where am I at now? Uh, Jungle Book. Let's not talk about how the racist implications of the monkeys. They want to be like you. You know, that's pretty jazzy. Uh, I mean, I, the songs of the South, if, if, the, if the Disney movie doesn't suck, it's probably, I mean, Dumbo, Dumbo has Jim Crow, the leader of these black crows that been done seen by Eric Ting when they seen an elephant fly. All right. It's, it's, it's racist as all hell. Um, then let's talk about the pedophilia going on here. Pocahontas is what? 13? When John uh, Smith. You're, 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 you're getting, you're treading. You need to tread lightly. People get offended by this, but you're absolutely right you know what fuck it don't tread lightly go ahead dive uh, I, right in I, I, can't tread, I can't tread lightly ariel is celebrating her what 13th 15th birthday when she marries the prince prince is uh, a grown-ass man with a grown-ass castle uh jasmine is underage jasmine's 14 i think they said she is um you know no matter what the era it's all fucked up it's all fucked up no Yo, let's talk about let's talk about Stockholm syndrome. Let's talk about Belle being held captive until she fell in love with this nigga. Let's talk about that. Like, I I could go on and on. Let's talk about and like even when you go into the future, oh, they're getting better. No, they're not. Let's talk about Tiana being the only black princess, and her goals are not to marry a prince or any of this bullshit. She just want to own a restaurant. Oh, great. Oh, great. And she's willing to work for it. I I bet Snow White laid down and did shit. Damn. Uh, come on, man. Disney is rough. I am jeopardizing my whole movie career right now, now. Now, this did not make my list, but I wanna, I wanna say this. A, it's it's kind of better now that we're adults. But if anyone goes back and watches Ren and Stimpy and realizes that we were really kids watching in a dark cartoon Ooh. about a gay relationship, it'll blow oh. your fucking mind. Ooh, wow, that's funny. I'm tell, go back. And watch some oh, Ren and Stimpy. I, I, watch, I watch Ren and Stimpy. I get it. I already know. Yes, it, it, it's really an adult cartoon about a gay relationship. But is that is that it on your number one? 
Oh yeah, the Disney the Disney movies that were so that everybody's nostalgic about. They're all they either have racist implications, they have pedophilia uh, implications, or or the the plot is generally for shit. I can feel that. I can feel that. My number one is a dual number one. It's still great though. I will say that. (laughs) My number one is is a dual number one. One that's deep and one that it kind of just make you think. Um. So as as our generation, we were the ones where CDs first became really popular. We made we mixed CDs. We we did all that good shit. Um, yeah, yeah. But CDs really are trash when you think about it. A, oh god, they're terrible. A, you have to have a separate computer. Once they came out with blank CDs, you had to have a a completely separate computer to record any or to put anything on it to burn it. Um, you had to carry around a bunch of them if you wanted a bunch of different type of music. Tapes were a much better form. As far as like blank tapes, because how much could you fit on a blank tape? You could fit hours and hours and hours on a on a blank tape that you could record music right from the radio. CDs, you cannot do that. Seventy-four minutes on a CD. Just saying, CDs are not what we remember them being. But that's just a little one that I just thought about. Um, no, you're right though. CDs CDs really suck. And then you remember like when you tried to be cool enough to slide, like, and that's why big jeans became popular because you had to put your CD player in your pocket. Exactly. And even if you had to carry around multiple tapes, like you could fit four tapes in your back pocket easily. CDs. And it was hard. It's harder to break a tape than it is. A exactly. CD. And CDs, you had to keep the casing because if you just put a, a raw CD in the back pocket, oh, that shit's breaking before you even make it to the bus stop. CDs are trash, man. CDs are definitely trash. I'm glad that we moved on. <laughs> but the one that really and this this is you know i always have to get deep this is the awakening soul the worst part about nostalgia for me personally and really for anyone if you think about it is that when we're kids we see our ki- we see our parents as superheroes we see our parents as just these people who go away for a little bit part of the day and they come home and they make us food they play with us they make our our lives pretty much amazing once you grow up and you realize that and it makes you respect them more. But once you realize your parents were really just flawed individuals and not the superheroes that you made them up to be, but they just found a way to make it work. And you realize that the shit that you're going through right now, they went through too. And you really think about how selfish you were as a kid and oh, how yeah. much they had to put into you knowing that they were going through shit now that you're an adult. It makes you like, and that's the thing is that for me, like we still, I think a lot of adults, you still have to look at your parents through that kid's lens in a sense, like slightly, because once you see them for the flawed individuals they were, you realize how kids, especially if you were even slightly a bad kid, nobody's a perfect kid, how we really were just dicks. We were just little dicks and just made our parents, made shit tougher on our parents than what, what we needed to be. That's the worst part of nostalgia. Once I started to see my parents as people, just people, individuals that just that don't have any relation to me at all, I started to see like, would I talk to them? Would I would I ask them for advice? What would I ask them for advice about? What would I what would I come talk to them for? What what, what jokes will we share? And I think in doing that, I carved a better relationship with them, and I stopped them. Um, you know, I'm I'm able to have more adult conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because because of that. And that's why I said and, it makes you yeah. respect them more in a sense. But I mean, yeah. as far as like the superhero lens that you look through your parents through, it kind of shatters that yeah. image a little bit. Also, I look at it like that's not something that I give my daughter. I tell my daughter, like, yo, you know, like I don't have any other children like you are here for the first time and nobody gives you no book on this shit. Like your dad is totally winging it every step of the way every day. And, you know, 
so my daughter knows like if, if I'm her superhero, it's because I try hard, not because she thinks I'm a superhero. So hopefully, my my goal with that is to make her not think that it's okay to be a dick. Like if you knew what your parents were going through, if you had any idea, if you weren't looking at them through their superhero lens, you probably wouldn't have acted out as much as you did. You probably would have helped out more. Exactly. Right, but the, your parents that. People think that's the parent's job to be to show them that you're bulletproof, but it's like no. it's mo- it's much more credible to say, "Look at me being human." Yeah, yeah. at least I mean, you know, absolutely. That's, that's no, how, no, absolutely. It's 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 important. It's important as adults to be able to see your 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 parents as human. Like it, it's a, it's a switch that flips probably around thirteen, fourteen, where you stop needing, or probably even earlier than that for most people, that you stop needing that superhero, and you really just need a friend. You really just need someone who's going to help you navigate life and someone you can learn through experiences. Right. I just mean that 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 little window of if you can look back at four or five year old, six year old you, where you just thought oh, you did everything for me. My mom bent over backwards for me. But yeah. damn, she was going through some shit. Right, right. I mean, it's incredible. It's a incredible yeah. point of view. You know, and they say, you know, like like poor children with like they say poor children with parents don't realize they're poor. Not because, not necessarily because the parents are good at hiding the poverty, but because they never, they don't know what anything else is like. So they don't understand. They think that that's what that's what life is supposed to be. As long as, and they don't miss anything because they have both their parents, which is an interesting concept. Absolutely. Because they look at them like superheroes, no matter what the situation. Even when the child is like suffering, like when the child is going hungry in poor situations like that, but the child still looks at the parents are superheroes not as like bad providers like children don't you know that's uh, that's a label other adults give other adults like <laughs> no child he like you know what I'm saying? like even when even the deadbeat dad that shows up every other weekend and he like he you know he he puts he puts the kid off and he makes promises and all that stuff the child eventually like eventually like 13 14 like you said the switch comes on but prior to that the child never looks at that parent like a deadbeat never you know they all they still look at him like a superhero all up until the, it's big clicks you always have that lens on your parents. It's deep, man. The shit gets deep. People don't realize it, man. Yeah, it's, it does uh, get deep. And it, I mean, like I said, it does make us respect them more, which is great that oh, yeah. it does. That it does. Like it's great to have that moment of realizing when you're at a point in your life that, damn, you know what? My parents, were, my dad, was going through the same. Especially when you have kids and you and you start thinking about like. Damn, I don't have money for this. Damn, I don't have money for that. Or damn, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this happen for them, but it's going to make this a little bit tight. And you start thinking, like, because I'll think, like, my, I, my parents almost made me never want for anything. Like, I didn't even have a concept of money for a long time. And, yeah, you, and, you, start, and you start worrying about that with your kids, and then you realize, you know what? My parents were going through the same shit. And, they, and yeah. I still looked at them like they were amazing. It's a, it's, it's a great moment of clarity. Yeah, it's like it's like um, it's like ha- it's like having a magician do a trick, and you're like, oh my god, that's an amazing trick, and then uh, and then later on realizing magic isn't real, and then seeing how that trick is done, I'm like, wow, that's still amazing how you did that. Crazy man, shit's crazy, bro. Yeah, really good. Well, man, I mean, that's it. That we we did we did the deal. No, listen, I'm gonna throw a Go. bonus one in there before we, before we part out. Um, this is just something that I, I've caught on to, and I always get the flack the, debated for this. And it's, it's, I have this theory that you are forever hooked on the type of music that you were into when you started having sex. And that's the music that you, and, and then not necessarily the music that came out when you were having sex, the music that you were listening to 
is what you will always be considering the best music. And and I feel like, you know, a lot of people, I'll take it like, I'll put it like this. A lot of people trash who's out today. Oh, Cardi B, that's a hooker. That's what y'all look up to or whatever like that. Oh, um, Lil Uzi Vert, he's clearly gay or bi because he's got pierced. He acts like that or whatever. Like, look at Takashi 69, all the tattoos on his face. Look at, uh, you know, look at whoever, whoever's out today. But we're looking at whoever's out today and we're comparing them to all the greats of the past. But no one is saying that Cardi B, Takashi, Lil Uzi Vert are the greats of today. Time has to tell that. We won't know till 2030 if any of these people last past 2018. You know what I mean? So to, to, to compare people who's popular today to all the greats of the past, because we're not comparing them to, uh, we're not comparing Migos to, uh, uh, who, who sang Party Like a Rockstar? We're not comparing Migos to D4L because Migos is going to win every time. Like, Migos is definitely better than those guys, but we don't know if Migos is going to be around in 2020. Migos could fall off tomorrow. Migos could not be one of the kings. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I think Migos will last. But I'm saying, like, it, it's not a fair comparison. And I remember being a young kid in the studio when Ludacris and DMX and Ja Rule and guys like that were coming out. And I was into those guys. And I remember being in the studio and people who were trying to be rappers would come in and be like, yo, these guys are whack. These guys are trash. They're not big. They're not Pac. They're not um, Coop Modi. They're not, you know, Rakim. They're not these guys. They're not outcasts. And I'm like, but I like these guys. And like, trust me, kid, these guys will never last. And it's funny how in comparison today, they're like, oh, my God, remember Ludacris, remember X, remember Ja Rule, remember, you know what I mean? So that, and, and that's just the cycle that will always be on. It will always be like that. The next generation will always hate on the previous and so forth. And that's just something to keep in mind. Well, fame, I think we dropped an uh, appropriate amount of knowledge here. Don't you think so? A lot of bombs. A lot of bombs. Hey. I liked it. I think yeah. it was good. You know, I like you know, I like to do that. This this is what we do. This is what we do. Not to quote the game, but this is what we do. <laughs> I just like I like yeah, absolutely, but I like to th- this. That was a song. Um, <laughs> I like to think of myself as the as the as the Stephen Colbert to your John Stewart. I like that. or the Conan or the Conan O'Brien to your Jay Leno. Like I like to think of uh, I like to think of the Embedded podcast as a as a cool sequitur, and it's it is, and it's segments like this that show the connection between the Awakened Soul and the Embedded podcast. Every time we link up together, it's a hit, and we already know we've talked about further plans and crossovers and shit. The people don't know what they're in store for. You know what? And the oh, thing yeah. is, is that now that once I did the kick, because I I will admit. And this, this is my thing. I'm not nearly as creative as you as far as like on a different level. Like I can very creative oh with God. like editing of the podcast, but I'm not as like creative as far as like doing stuff out out of the box as you are. But once I did the kickback and I kind of got that wheel turning a little bit, yeah. I'm like, I'm there's so. And the thing is, is that podcast is a medium that we can do so much with. And now that I've kind of took that next step into doing extremely experimental shit. The people don't know what they're in store for. Not going to do it all the time because it does take a lot. Um, and it, it, it'll wear off the luster if I did it all the time. But now when I do do it, people, just be prepared. It's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. We talked about a lot in that elevator. Yeah, man. We were stuck in there for a long time. Long time. Well, fam, tell the people where they can find you. Listen, if you uh, liked any of the things I had to say or in the opposite direction, if you dislike them and you want to tell me how much you dislike them, I am at Fame Black on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really liked it and you want to hear more of me breaking some misconceptions, that is the uh, latest episode of the In Beta podcast, which I must say is the sickest podcast 
broadcasting in a live studio audience throughout the airwaves. Uh, and you can find it on most iPod, uh, most pla- uh, podcast platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio. We're on iHeartRadio. That's the one I was thinking of. I was trying to think of the new one that we got. We're on iHeartRadio. Uh, the M Beta Podcast. You got to check it out. Yes, sir. So definitely check his podcast out. He's been killing it. But it's time for us to get into the Stay Woke segment. So we're going to get into that intro music. On the other side of that, it's going to be me and Andrew Bello. Stay woke. Stay woke. Stay woke. Ladies and gentlemen, look, we got a returning guest. And this it used to be a, a constant contributor to The Awakened Soul. But the world of podcasting has made us both very, very busy people. But nonetheless, we do have the Andrew Bello is back for the Stay Woke segment. Mr. Woke himself is back in the building. What's going on, Bello? Not too much. As I, as I said the last time, uh, the Awakened Soul listeners heard my voice. I'm back for some less substancey uh, type topics. Although I guess we are going to talk about coffee. Caffeine's sort of a substance in and of itself. Although I have a feeling we're not going to actually talk about coffee, but it's loosely related. Yeah, loose, loose, very loosely related. Um, but I mean, so we're we're definitely here to talk about this Starbucks incident in which two black men um, who had not paid uh, were asked to leave. I believe at first police were called. Two men were arrested. It's turned into it's a whole way bigger situation in which. Um, an executive at Starbucks has met with the man. They've apologized. Um, and of course, now protesting and everything is going on, uh, specifically at that store, which uh, I, I don't know. I don't think it's gotten too, too tense, but the store has actually been uh, had to shut down for a couple of days because of this. And Starbucks also shut down. What was it? Eight thousand stores for for racial training or whatever. Like it, it's 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 really snowballed into its own big thing. Below. Um So before we dive right into it, what do you kind of just high level make of all this right now? I just I thought it was just kind of well, I mean, obviously, the incident in and of itself was not funny. But the fact that it was Starbucks of all places, like if you had told me like, a, I don't know, a less left leaning organization was at the center of all this, like I could have probably taken it a bit more seriously initially. But um, I mean, my first thought was. You know, uh, all you see about it is the initial burst of like, this is clearly racism and this is this, that and the other thing. And these guys got a crap deal, which I'm I'm certainly not going to argue that these guys got the shit end of the stick. They absolutely did. They deserve better treatment in this circumstance. I don't believe they really did anything wrong at the end of the day. But, um, you know, th- this is one of those things that I, I, I look at it and I go, OK, we don't even have remotely any of the facts and we're all ready to hang this uh, this manager out to dry, basically, um, you know, trying to uh, trying to, to to paint her as some sort of racist and this, that and the other thing. And I had a feeling once all the facts came out that that it was probably going to look a little less severe than it actually was. And uh, having looked at all of them now, um, while I'm not going to altogether rule out that there was some sort of racial bias here, I'm going to say that I, I think the evidence suggests that that's probably not the case. Uh, but maybe I'm in the minority on this one. In fact, I, I usually am. But uh, what were what were your thoughts on this before I give kind of all the breakdown that I kind of wanted to touch on about it? I mean, yeah, of course, once the the initial hoopla all came out from it, of course, it painted it in a racial light, um, which, like you said, th- there's definitely some racial profile. And to say that there wasn't in this case, it, I think it's just completely turning a blind eye to it. But it really seems like what we have more so than than just races is just a dick store manager, to just be quite honest now. Like I said, I, yeah. there was probably uh, definitely a, a racial 
aspect to this. I'm not going to turn that eye, uh, blind eye, and I don't want anyone to just automatically say that it wasn't racial in some way. But it seems like the majority of this is just the manager was just a complete and utter dick. I I think that's definitely the the bulk of what happened here is that we have just a a manager who, you know, got a little power hungry, I guess, you know, bossing around baristas all day, made them feel like a tough girl, I guess. It was a woman in this case, I believe. Um, But this is the type of person that apparently from some of the reports, the manager uh, is your typical pink haired liberal, you know, super, super sensitive type person to the point to where apparently customers had heard her like yelling at uh, co-workers about using the proper pronouns towards transgender customers and that kind of stuff. Um, now I have my own personal thoughts that people who lean left really are more racist than people who lean the other way. I, I, I obviously understand why people don't always see that connection, but, uh, th- this person would probably rather die than actually be accused of any sort of racism just based on the, the, the virtue signaling type atmosphere that she's trying to create in the store. So my initial thought on that was just this, this, you know, this manager probably is just more of an asshole than they are an altogether racist Now, uh, whether or not there's some sort of racial bias, I guess I'm not ruling it out because it's always a possibility. But um, to tell me that, uh, you know, a a woman who works in a Philadelphia Starbucks where there's a there's a large black community that lives in around there and that a year into her tenure as Starbucks, she decided that these two guys were the were the guys that she was going to just all of a sudden unleash her her subdued racism on just seems a little odd to me. I mean, it's always possible again, but I'm looking at it. From, you know, from a perspective of I I just can't imagine that this was the day that she just couldn't hold back her racism anymore. And these two guys happen to get the the brunt of her wrath. I I think the guys got a really crap end of the stick again. I mean, whatever they were doing did not merit getting handcuffed and walked out of the store. That that's just from the evidence that I've seen. But there's also cameras that were inside that Starbucks. We haven't seen any footage of anything that came on other than the little bit of the camera footage we've seen from people with their phones and that kind of thing. So uh, I don't think even all of the evidence is necessarily out yet, but just based on what I'm seeing, I just don't see this as a, as a race issue to be. I think it's just that it's an obnoxious manager who overstepped their bounds, a couple guys who maybe were sensitive to the fact that they thought they were being discriminated against. And I'm not going to say again that I don't think that's a possibility. I just think that maybe they were a little bit more sensitive to it than, you know, than, than maybe they should have been. And this manager was definitely not helping her case or trying into in any way make it look like they were incorrect by doing what she did. So I just think this is just a you know a terrible situation that's got really blown out of proportion and it's doing more to divide and conquer, you know, the people along racial lines than this one idiot who owned who managed a Starbucks could ever do. What needs to be better um educated on is what situation in which you need to be calling the police on. Yeah, I mean, there are apparently with this particular Starbucks, there are some like loitering issues like any Starbucks, I'm sure in any sort of city setting is like one of these things where they're probably closely watching the seats in there and trying to make sure that everybody who's sitting there is some sort of paying customer. These gentlemen, by their own admission, had not purchased anything, had brought bottles of water in and she offered them stuff and they said no. But they did also mention that they were waiting for a meeting. I think it was probably extremely unreasonable for her to not at least give them some time for the party that they were supposed to be meeting with to arrive. 
before she called the police. And, and it, it appears that she called them virtually right away after having an initial conversation with them and asking them if they wanted anything. The one gentleman asked to, to use the bathroom. And I guess that's ultimately what kind of drew her attention to them. Like, had that guy not asked? And he, again, apparently didn't have any qualms with the fact that she wasn't willing to give him the code right away he she wanted him to pay for something he understood but it, i think by going and asking for the bathroom before trying to purchase anything they kind of drew attention to themselves and and by no means do i think that that attention merited a phone call to the police but uh, i think you know like we were saying i mean like should should she look at it and go oh these are these are two black guys like i, I don't want to be worried about being considered racist here by doing what i would assume she had some sort of procedure that told her she should do this i i i, I can't imagine that she just calls the police on every black guy that walks into a starbucks and fill it Philadelphia. it would probably be a very busy day for the people of starbucks and the police of philadelphia so i i, I don't know i mean i i think she kind of screwed the situation up royally but i don't want her or anyone for that matter to treat anyone differently based on the color of their skin whether it's a good or bad come for the particular people that she's dealing with absolutely let's talk about the flip side of this we, we, we talked about the manager and kind of starbucks response well let, let's talk about a little more of the company before we get into the next thing so starbucks shutting down eight thousand stores for a day for racial unbiased training what do you make of that yeah they they do these things now that it's called implicit bias i believe so basically for those unfamiliar the test itself is like something where you'd sit down at a computer and they'd show you a picture of a white guy. And then they'd show four adjectives on the side of the screen. And then they track like which one you select this best describes that white guy and how quickly you select it. And then let's say the next slide is a picture of a black woman and then another four adjectives. And they decide how quickly and which adjective you pick. And they try to basically determine your level of bias or put it realistically your level, your, your, willingness to discriminate against certain people. So if you see the picture of the white guy and you click smart and then you see the picture of the black guy and even if you click smart but you take a longer time to click it, they imply somehow that you are racist based on that, which you may very well be by the way. Um so those those that's sort of how that test works and really the whole thing there's no scientific evidence to suggest in any way shape or form that this is like a really good reading as far as what your biases might be the test also can't be repeated because once you know how it works you know how it works and it's really just like the it's a pretty easy way to get around it um and and it also really can't really be you know it can't be repeated because again like once you have an idea of what your score was or what your biases were now you're aware of them so they're not really implicit anymore they're more conscious than unconscious and it's just sort of like is it the right move from a corporate standpoint to say hey we're going to try and do some sort of sensitivity or or diversity training and that kind of thing yeah sure but is it really going to do anything at the end of the day highly doubtful i mean let's just not hire people who we think might be racist it seems like a good start um especially if you're working in a community where it it's very diverse um like I'm sure they saw this pink-haired liberal woman and thought there's no way in hell she's racist, and they decided to hire her. I, I think that's probably what happened here. But um, I, I think it's it's a smart PR move, but at the end of the day, it's really just a big virtue signal to me. It's not going to change any, any way, shape, or form. One day of training is not going to change anybody's thoughts or biases. Um, but you know, I guess Starbucks had to do what it had to do. It's a particularly liberal-leaning corporation, even though they tend to um, you know take advantage of capitalist ide- capitalist ideals uh, obviously you know they charge you five dollars for a cup of coffee but um yeah I, I mean it's it's sort of what they had to do but is it really going to make any changes i don't 
think so. But uh, what what did you think about that when they came out with their response? Yeah, I mean, much like you, it's, it's one day of training. Like w- one day. I, I'd much rather I, – I get it in the sense that it seems like a, this big, grandiose gesture that you're sh- uh, shutting down 8,000 of your stores. But at the same time, I'd much rather see – Oh, we're gonna we're gonna put our managers like we're gonna take our managers. They're gonna each one's gonna go through a week of training on situations like this. Like not all at once, just from now on, you're gonna put them all through them in waves. Like that's much more meaningful to me to me than just a big grandiose gesture of okay, well this is what we did for one day. Like you said, it's a big virtual vir- virtue signal, but um, they had to do something. They did. I I think so. I think I'd be more. Or I'd be uh, I wouldn't be shocked rather if the series of quote testing or training or whatever the case may be just leads to a bunch of people getting fired. Like if you don't do well, if they test you with that implicit bias test and you don't do well on it, which, again, there's really no scientific evidence to prove that it it really is accurate. Because, I mean, how do you how do you even measure something like that? I mean, really. Um, But, you know, that. If you if you happen to score bad on it, like they might just find a reason to get rid of you and try to replace you with somebody who might have less of an implicit bias by a given metric. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you, you see like sort of mass firings and it'll probably be done quietly. Eight thousand stores across the country. They let a couple people go here and there. You probably won't even notice and it probably won't even make the news. But I think that's more likely to happen than all of a sudden there'll be some drastic shift in how baristas and managers at Starbucks handle their their clientele. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, it's something that I kind of wanted to piggyback on when we were talking before, but I I forgot to ask this. Um, In in labeling, I just want to give the importance to everyone not to be quick to to label anyone as racist. Um, Bello, I know you've dealt dealt with that a lot yourself, especially (laughs) considering your 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 political leanings. But a I'm one of your really good friends. At least I think I am, unless you just don't consider me one. But uh, I'm just really good at pretending I like. <laughs> but between between me and and Billy Ray Valentine, who is a Hispanic American, um, you're not in any way any way racist that I find. But I just wanted to speak on the importance of not just being quick to label anyone a racist without really knowing that person and i just that's i i, I miss, miss saying that so I, I definitely wanted to speak on that but let's get into the other side of this the police oh actually can i can i tack on to that exactly Absolutely. for a little bit here all right so you got um in this instance like let's say all right let's say i'm right and there wasn't a particular racial bias here which i'm willing to admit is not entirely always likely but let's just say that i'm correct here now you've taken a situation and blown it way out of the proportion and everyone lost their shit about it and it's a big divide between the races and this that, and the other thing and it, you know maybe there wasn't any actual real racism here like let's I'm, I'm all for combating racism. I think it's gonna, it needs to be minimalized. I don't know that it'll ever be entirely eliminated from culture, but the smaller and smaller we can make that group, the better and better it'll be for everybody. Um, and like, what, how do, how do we actually go about the next time something like this happens? If, if we find out that the Starbucks lady was just an idiot and not a racist. Now, the next time this happens, everybody's going to roll like, you know, black people are going to get into a into a tizzy about it. And understandably so I'm not trying to tell you you shouldn't. But then everybody else is just going to kind of roll their eyes and go like this is the Starbucks thing all over again. And it's just the boy who cried wolf. Let's wait until the facts come out. Let's find the actual racist and then we can go ahead and 
troll them and, and socially shame them and out of existence, hopefully. But when you when you kind of everyone jumps on the oh, it's got to be racist bandwagon, it's it's tough to come back from. And like you said, like I have dealt with a little bit of that. And how exactly do I unprove my racism? Exactly. I mean, yes, the, the go to for most white people is, oh, well, I've got such and such black friends or such and such Hispanic friends. Oh, so you count call- it. Well, I, I mean, see, no, I, no, yeah. I'm saying that's the response. That's the response. Then once you say that is also oh, you right. count your black friends. It's like, well, I mean, how exactly am I supposed to prove to you that I don't have a qualm with a certain group of people unless I tell you that I'm friendly with said group of people? Like, I mean, <laughs> exactly. How do you prove racism? And that's so that's like you said, it's very it's very easy to label somebody a racist, but it's very difficult for somebody who's been labeled that to unlabel themselves like i i don't even know would go about it that's why most of the time anytime i've ever heard that i just kind of ignore it then i go and hang out with my friends of all creeds and colors and different sexualities or whatever the case may be and just go on living my life but yeah to throw the racism around uh in such a way it's just it's watering down the actual racism that exists that that all of us that aren't racist would like to help combat but it's just if, if everything everyone does that you disagree with is is because of some sort of racist thing, eventually it just falls on deaf ears. And, you know, it would be the same thing with sexism or the same thing with uh, ageism or, you know, people out there don't like lefties. Oh, screw you. I'm lefty. I'm sorry. That's just the end of the day. Like, but there's there's all sorts of biases that exist. And if we assume that people have those before we actually know the reason that they're at least claiming they have for said decision making – I think, you know, I think we're all just going to be sitting around pointing at one another and nothing's ever going to really get done. Precisely. And and then like the whole boycotting of Starbucks in which you said Starbucks is extremely left leaning. So, yeah, they they have like no one had an issue when they were like on an attack on Christmas when they refused to put like, you know, everything had to be happy holidays. You couldn't say Merry Christmas and this, that, the other thing. Like no one cared about their attack on Christians. But two black guys in Philadelphia get kicked out of Starbucks and all of a sudden Starbucks hates all black people. All white people hate all black people. This, that and the other thing. It's like, whoa, everyone take a step back. It was just an idiot who works as a manager at a Starbucks. I mean, no offense to managers at Starbucks out there, but I don't necessarily consider them to be of the highest level of intelligence and <laughs> here we are looking at you know looking at just a manager of like a random starbucks who apparently you know even even if she was a racist like i mean it's not indicative of the larger social climate it's just one idiot at a starbucks and it's not indicative of the company at all like 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 it's oh. not for and that's the thing that that irritates me so much about my own people sometimes is that it's this it's this grouping up mentality of Oh, this happened? Oh, yeah, let's just boycott Starbucks. They're racist. No! Do you re Seriously, a quick Google search of Starbucks can tell you that the company as a whole is very far from racist. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I kind of hinted at it before. I mean, I tend to think that left-leading places are more racist just because that's all they see are race and gender. And, you know, they, they go out and they pander to you know, group of black people, group of Hispanic people, group of gay people. Like, you don't see that on the right. And it's not because the people on the right hate all of those people it's that they see you all as one people (laughs) i see all people as one people i'm not sitting around going you know what i really want to do today i really want to piss off the gays but i really want to make the jews happy like no i don't have any issue with anybody i just until you give me a reason to have an issue with you i have no reason to treat you as anything other than a fellow human being and a fellow american assuming you are american uh, you know, that that's just I don't know. I feel like it takes a lot of effort to go out of your way to be that level of racist. But the, the left or at least the DNC, I don't want to paint everybody on the left the same way. But the people who run the party for the Democrats, they 
find these subgroups and they harp on them and they try to get their votes. And then as soon as they get elected, they completely fucking forget you ever voted for them or ever cared for them in the first place. And it's just it's it's really frustrating to see it. It's been happening my entire life. It's been happening 30 years before I was born. And I mean, you look at all the major cities across the country. You got Baltimore, you got Detroit, you got, you know, Philadelphia, all of the all of the really, you know, the all of the cities all across the country that have been largely democratically run, have large minority populations, and they're all for lack of a better term, shitholes. So and has nothing to do with the people who live there, has everything to do with the people that are running those particular places. And it's, you know, it it hasn't gotten any better or at least hasn't gotten largely better for people of color across this country. And they continue to vote one way. And, you know, for somebody to for 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 people to look at somebody on the right and be like, oh, you guys are racist. Be like, oh, really? Well, what have the Democrats done for you? Like, I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> there there needs to be a point where we can look across the aisle, and I'm guilty of it as well. We need to both be able to look across the aisle and say, like, those are people first and Democrats second, or people first and Republicans second. And then maybe we can get a little bit of common ground going and we can break through on these on these sorts of issues. Absolutely, absolutely. So I agree with you 100 percent. Let's um, let's talk about the last issue that I want to talk about from this situation. That is the police response. Do you think that the men should have been arrested and detained or do you think they should have kind of been just forced to leave and the police should have let them walk? Because there's been some conversation about that on social media as well. I just I figured since we're talking about it, we might as well touch on that aspect as well. I I think the police response was more or less what it what it all. It, it kind of all worked out in such a way where there was such a minimal uh, incident. I want to say like there was no there was no back and forth. There was no, you know, like no fighting, no, no uh, resisting arrest of any kind. The, the police seemed to come in. This is just based on the, the cam- cell phone camera video that I saw. They came in. They approached the two men. They said, you know, you got to leave. And they they cuffed them and walked them out. And the guys went without any real fuss. Uh, which is, you know, honestly, I tip my hat to them because I'd have been losing my shit. I would have been like, get the fuck out of here. This is a Starbucks. Like, I'm just sitting here. You don't get to just fucking arrest me. These guys just went quietly. God bless them. You know, they they very easily could have had every right in the world to make a big scene about it. Um, I don't think they needed to be handcuffed, particularly because these guys were just they, they, they appeared to not be resisting in any way, shape or form. I think if the police just said, all right, guys, like, let's get up. Let's go outside. Let's talk about this for a minute. I'm sure they would have. And the conversation in this whole situation may have ended very, very differently. Uh, but having said that, they are police like they are sort of, you know, that their go to is like, let's let's anybody who might be hostile here. And they did receive a phone call telling them that these two gentlemen were creating a disturbance of some kind, even though they never actually saw it. That's why they were there. So it's tough for me to say, you know, these cops went above and beyond. At the end of the day, nobody was hurt. Nobody was shot. Nobody, you know, n- nothing completely bad shit crazy happened. It appears that these two gentlemen went back to the precinct and I think they were let go ultimately, uh, or at least that's what I what I understood of it. So if there were charges filed, by all means, somebody correct me. But uh, I think, you know, this it ultimately resolved without any sort of physical violence, which is, I think, something we would all take regardless of whether or not we nitpick about how that was ultimately handled, both from a police front and from the from the front of the two gentlemen who were obviously uh, arrested in this instance. So uh, I don't want to always be the guy that defends the police. But in this case, I mean, I listened to the chief talk about it and he said, like, you know, we got a call. There was a disturbance. We showed up. The two gentlemen were there. We escorted them out. 
I don't think they needed to be handcuffed. I don't think they needed to be put in any sort of cell, arrested or held in any way, shape or form. But that's sort of their go to. That's what police do generally is, you know, remove the supposed problem from the scene and deal with it with a little bit. There's always paperwork. There's always pomp and circumstance that goes along with any sort of police action. And um, I again, I don't think it was necessarily appropriate here, but let's all bear in mind that nobody got hurt. Nobody got shot. Nobody was killed. It was just, you know, it was four, three, four cops walked into Starbucks, escorted these two gentlemen out. And, um, you know, we probably wouldn't know that any of this happened if they didn't arrest them and walk out. And, you know, obviously that's sort of the root issue here. But if you want to tell me that the root issue is racism, well, we probably would have never found out about the supposedly racist situation if the cops didn't handcuff them and arrest them and leave. And it turned into a bigger deal. So uh, I I don't know. I I, I don't think they acted entirely appropriately. But at the same time, um, you know, it it wasn't as if like this is, you know, this could have been a whole lot worse. And anybody who has listened to our show about police shootings and this, that, and the other thing, like knows what I'm talking about. So I I don't expect any cop to walk in gun drawn to a Starbucks and take a shot at two two guys that are just sitting there. But, um, you know, there are probably a a section of the population of people out there that thought that 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 could have been how this went down. And it didn't. Thank God. So, um, I mean, everybody kind of screwed up here. The Starbucks screwed up. The manager screwed up. Even to some degree, the two guys screwed up a little bit like they're they're at least one percent to blame for all this. Uh, And the police obviously screwed up. But I don't need any I don't need like a racial bias for me to believe that all of that is possible. You know, like the the cops going a little bit above and beyond the shield and the the manager thinking that they were a little, you know, maybe they maybe they thought that they had some sort of power in the situation that they clearly didn't or shouldn't have. And, uh, you know, a lot of people screwed up in in fairly low paying and low educated positions. So I'm not like, I don't know, I I don't want to point my finger and say, like, these cops really screwed up. Like it could have been a lot worse. And it looks like it was ultimately resolved. Um, I've, I've rambled on for too long. I'm, I'm sort of torn on it, as you can tell. Yeah. And, and like you said, we don't know how the manager described it in the phone call. As far as I know, that has not been leaked or uh, exactly what I mean. You, they got to call it disturbance. I do think, however, having six officers for two black men in a Starbucks is a bit much, in my opinion. But again, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure on how police officers are trained. I just just the optics of that just that's a bit much and and them being handcuffed as well when they weren't acting belligerent they didn't show any type of threat uh so the, those are those are things that i have problems with but usually when they when the cops are called somebody has to leave like and that right in that sense that i understand but the whole handcuffs and then i believe they were even detained for like three or four hours as well yeah. um that that's that's a bit much I, that that something needs to be done there um but it, but it's, it's and honestly it seems like both starbucks both both uh people at the at the police office everyone has kind of talked to these guys and apologized to an extent so it, it really seems like everyone kind of realizes that this may have just escalated a little bit too far across every every at every point it was just a little bit too much of an escalation yeah, like I said, I mean, it's just it's a it's a bunch of people that all kind of screwed up and it kind of dominoed. You got the you, know, you got the manager and then the cops and then the Starbucks CEO and to again to the degree these two gentlemen that were involved and uh, you know that it, it was a little bit above and beyond. Everybody kind of did did a little bit more than they absolutely needed to, and it just it just the whole thing turned into a big cluster. 
Um, I did notice, for the record, one of the police officers happened to be black. So there's at least that to throw in there if you wanted to tell, say, you know, it was like an entirely racist thing, uh, racist thing. Well, like one of the police officers that came on the scene was was African-American, from what I could tell anyway. That's what it looked like in the video. So, um, you know, it's not as if six white cops rolled in there and dragged these two black guys out of there. It just... You know, just happen to be, I guess, predominantly white cops. I do know in cities, for the most part, they ride in twos. So, th- you know, three cars showing up on the scene for, for two guys seems maybe excessive. Like you said, maybe one of them was in the area. You can also see in the video that one of the cops asked the other cop to grab coffee for him as he's walking out of the video. So maybe two of them just happen to show up for coffee. I'm not saying that that's necessarily likely, but it's also not entirely out of the realm of possibilities. I think it was just excessive. Everybody's handling of this was excessive. And obviously it turned into the situation. It turned in. And, and, and for that matter, people's reaction to this was excessive. The whole thing was just a big decision display of excess absolutely absolutely and let's this this is this is why here at the awakening so we do kind of take some time to let everything and all the details as far as what i mean all the details almost never completely come out but give it time and and <clears throat> that's why we talk about things the way we do well andrew i mean i think we i think we hit this one on the head anything you have left to say on this on this situation I've got nothing. No. Uh, next time I'll be back. We'll we'll talk some Comey, McCabe, Trump, the three way dance that's going on over in Washington. Uh, that's another situation like we were saying right before we went on the air that we, we kind of want to see how it all unfolds. And uh, frankly, that one might like never fully unfold. Uh, <laughs> we might be talking years down the road before we get any resolution to this whole thing. But I'm very invested in all that. And I have a lot to say about it. And I'll be saying it right here on the Awakened Soul CEO. Thank you for having me as always. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. This has been the Awakened Soul. You guys know where to find me. You can follow me at CEO Hayes. That's at CEO H A I Z E. You can also send me any feedback, questions, comments, concerns to the Awakened Soul Pod at gmail.com. Check out the Breaks Radio, which was already released uh, just yesterday. Um, we also have a new World Tea Time, which was a segment on the Breaks Radio, is actually spun off into its own show. So check that out as well from the ladies of I'm Just Saying. We're just we're building a little empire over here. Um, also, don't forget to follow uh, and go check out UML, which is Urban Mogul Life, which is the wonderful network that I'm a part of. Um, we're also working on a crossover show uh, between me and Geek Set, uh, specifically Deuce over there to uh discuss the avengers so i'm looking forward to that we need to get a little more interplay going on between uh between the herbal mogul life team so i'm looking forward to that so i'm gonna leave you with this song and, on other, and not on the other side of that on the other side of this week i'll see you guys next week for another episode of the awakened soul peace
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.